ever since we moved to the new house down there on Misty Mesa in Mansfield, uh, we've got a pretty good-sized backyard, and I wanted to plant some fig trees. Uh, my wife is from Mississippi, and uh, she, in her earlier years, her mother would can figs and have fig preserves, and she's been craving them, so I decided we're going to have some figs at our house. Now, you're wondering, why did I tell you that? Because I think you need to know how to say fig tree in Chinese. Now, you understand the, 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 uh, the word for fig tree in Chinese is wu hua guo su. Okay? Wu means no. Wu hua means flower. Wu hua guo, fruit. Su is tree, okay? Now you've got that, right? And uh, the, the interesting thing about in, in Chinese that say um, a fig tree is a, a, a tree with no flowers. It has fruit with no flowers. Uh, it's self-pollinating and uh, they will just produce a lot of good fruit right off the, 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 the trunk of the tree. And uh, I wouldn't have had to plant a fig tree if Matthew and Crystal would have shared with us, but when they had figs, they didn't notify us and let us go get us some figs. So I'm having to plant my own fig trees. But we've got one fig tree that's named Celeste. I've got a granddaughter named Celeste. So that's bound to be a good one. But the other one is a dwarf fig. And uh, it's Little Miss Figgy Fig. And so we're looking forward to Little Miss Figgy Fig producing figs. We're looking forward to that. Well, enough of that nonsense. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 3 through 11. Um, as most of you know, and some may not, that, we've been, that I've been preaching through uh, the seven I am's of Jesus statements there found in the gospel of John. And uh, we're going to continue that today. Uh, in the last message, uh, we were on John 14 and 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, we got the way, but we didn't get to the truth. So we're going to try to get to the truth today and uh, trust that it will be a blessing to us and enlightening to us as we study from God's word. So would you stand with me as we read this passage of scripture? Beginning in verse 3, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, 
We do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Let's go to the Lord in another word of prayer. Brother Nathan Woodworth, would you lead us in this prayer, please? Amen. You may be seated. And as you've seen in your bulletin, the title for uh, this sermon uh, is The Great I Am, The Truth. And uh, so we're just going to focus on that one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to look at and consider the subject of truth. <clears throat> now, you will remember that when Jesus was on trial before Pilate, he said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate replied to him, what is truth? And people ever since that time have been asking that same question, what is truth? And there is a lot of debate today on what is truth and uh, the reality of truth and so forth. And so we hope that we'll be able to come up with some answers today. But most people in the world are like Pilate. He didn't wait for the answer that Jesus might have given him to enlighten him, but he turned around, walked away. And we live in a world today who cares little about truth, the truth that the Bible reveals to us. And I pray that God will guide and direct us uh, in our study today. Webster's Dictionary defines truth as the true or actual state of a matter, conformity with fact or reality, a verified or indisputable fact. And uh, those are words and a, a definition that it would be hard for me to argue against. But in John chapter 14 that we have read from today, Jesus is, they've left the upper room where they had uh, ate the last supper, the Passover meal together. And uh, this is his last night with his disciples. The next day he will be, that evening he'll be arrested and tried and, and then crucified. 
and uh, he's comforting his disciples in these words, and he has told them that he will be betrayed. He also tells them that he will only be with them a little while longer. He also tells them that where he is going, they cannot come. All of this, of course, is Jesus preparing their hearts for his death, his crucifixion, and his subsequent being raised from the dead to be at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. And as he is speaking to them, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Now, you know, we sometimes kind of criticize Thomas and call him Doubting Thomas and so forth, but actually Thomas was honest. He had the courage to ask the question that he didn't understand. And so I pray that we will also uh, be willing to ask the hard questions. And so, uh, how can we know the way? Jesus then said to him that famous verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, that is a powerful statement because Jesus is saying to them and to us, if you want to go to heaven, you must come through me. In other words, believe in the Son of God and be saved. Jesus also said to Thomas, I am the truth. How can Jesus be truth if truth is a thing and not a person? We know from Webster's definition about that truth that it is a verified or indisputable fact, and it's not a person. However, when we look at this from a biblical perspective, we have a better understanding of why Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John's Gospel that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it said in verse 14 of that same chapter, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John's Gospel gives us three vital truths about the Word which is Jesus. First of all, that he existed in the beginning with God. He was with God the Father, and by his divine nature, he is God. John's Gospel also says that the Word became flesh. That is to say that Jesus Christ, who is divine, became a man and dwelt for a period of time among us so that he might reveal to us what God is like, that we might know God and through him receive eternal life. As Christians, I hope that we take a biblical worldview. That is to say that we see truth and what is true according to the word of God not according to the ideas or the feelings or the philosophies of man, but, but it is strictly according, a biblical worldview is strictly according to what the word of God 
teaches and tells us. That is why Jesus, being the word, could say, I am the truth. That is not to say that truth, as defined by Webster, is wrong. Truth is, in fact, a verified or indisputable fact. We just believe as Christians the facts are laid out in the Bible. We believe every answer to life and the truth on any topic is laid out in the Bible. Jesus was saying to us that it is an indisputable fact that I am the Son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sadly, there are probably a majority of people in the world who do not agree with that statement. The fact that Jesus Christ is the truth of God, that God has revealed to us that we might be saved. The prevailing attitude concerning truth in the world is relativism. That truth is relative. It's according to what I think. My truth may be different from your truth. And uh, to them, there is no absolute truth, no absolute reality. To them, the only indisputable fact is that there is no truth. As we live in this world, the 21st century, Our challenge during these difficult days, and they are difficult times, that we will get into the word ourselves and seek out the truth. In a world today of much fake news and made-up facts, should we not at least study the Bible, and see what God has to say to each of us on every new topic that comes up. My hope and prayer is that many will search it out and find, in fact, that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Two main points this morning. First point, the battle for truth. It started way back in the Garden of Eden. You remember that record of Genesis chapter 3? Let me read it and uh, read most of it. Some uh, I will leave out, but it says, Now the serpent said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the days you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so this was the beginning of 
the battle for truth. And here in this passage that we've just read, God had given a command to Adam and Eve. God's word is truth. That command was truth. And Adam and Eve were obligated to obey that command, to obey the truth that God had revealed to them. But Satan called God a liar. God, Satan disputed what God had said. Satan's lie began there in the Garden of Eden, and he still continues today uh, in disseminating his lies in so many ways so that people are misled and turned away and re- caused to reject the gospel. John 8, Jesus said these words, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus said Satan was a murderer. That was his motive. To destroy souls. He wanted to destroy the souls of Adam and Eve. He wanted to destroy the souls of all of their descendants down to you and to me today. And Satan is actively busy in this world doing just that. Trying to deceive and destroy people's souls. And the method that Jesus used was the lie. He said, has God didn't really say what you're thinking he said. He called God a liar. Satan wants to bring death, both physical, spiritual, and eternal, to this world. And he does it through deception. Satan isn't interested in telling lies about little things. He wants you to believe lies about the biggest subject, lies about God, deceiving people about God, his nature, his word, and his will. And if Satan can get your mind twisted about who God is and the way to God, he has you trapped in his net of deception. In the last sermon... We preached about the great I am, the way, the way to God. But what has Satan done? As you travel down the highways and the roads, you have road signs that guide you and help you to know the right way. And... uh, Genesis 3.1 says the serpent was more subtle, that's the King James Version, than all of the other animals. Some of the other translations use cunning or crafty. But the, the devil's subtlety is seen in that he does not present himself as an adversary. Rather, he gets to Eve to question God's goodness. He quizzes Eve in a way that emphasizes what the Lord has forbidden 
painting him as someone who is strict and overbearing. Satan could have asked about the blessings God has generously given to mankind, but instead he asked what the creator has told Eve not to do. He also intimates that the Lord God is jealous in a bad way. And that God is out to keep people down for his own sake without any regard for their well-being. Matthew Henry comments on this. He said, it is the subtlety of Satan to blemish the reputation of divine law as certain or unreasonable and to draw people to sin. And that's Satan's motive. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve, and that's what happens to all of their descendants. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so today, the devil employs the same tactics with us. So let us be careful, lest he lead us astray into the violation of our God's word and will. So Satan's deception is subtle. He does not come as an evil enemy, but he comes subtly to deceive, to tempt, and to destroy. But secondly, Satan's deception is strategic. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were Satan and you wanted to defeat God and God's work and God's people in the world, how would you do it? How would you begin? Well, George Barna, in a recent survey, surveyed pastors in Protestant denominations. And in this national survey among Protestant pastors and what they believe, the numbers are now in. And the outcome may be a shock to many of us today. Based on interviews with 601 Senior pastors nationwide representing a random cross-section of Protestant churches, Barna reports that only half the country's Protestant pastors, 51%, have a biblical worldview. And defining such a worldview, this is Barna, as believing that absolute moral truth exists, that it is based upon the Bible, and having a biblical view on six core beliefs. The accuracy of biblical teaching, in other words, the fact that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God, and it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The sinless nature of Jesus. Jesus Christ was born in this world 
He was just as human as you and me, but he was without sin. The literal existence of Satan. Many people think that there's just evil principles. They do not believe that Satan is a real person, a real being. But we believe the Bible and what the Bible teaches and what Jesus taught. The omnipotence and omniscience of God and all of the other things, attributes of God that the Bible reveals to us. That God is our God, infinite in all his attributes. Salvation by grace through faith alone. And the personal responsibility of every Christian to be an evangelist, to be a witness, to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this survey that Barna conducted brought to light some unexpected differences based on pastoral background. The most intriguing of those relates to theological training. Educationally, the pastors least likely to have a biblical worldview, believing the things that I've just mentioned, are those who are seminary graduates. Only 45% of senior pastors who have graduated from a seminary have a biblical worldview. In contrast, three out of five pastors who have not attended seminary, operate with a biblical worldview. That's 59%. And so if that's the case, then I would say stay away from the seminary. Don't attend the seminary because that is Satan's method of defeating the church and the work of God. And those seminary professors who are convincing students that God does not have absolute truth, that his word is not divinely inspired, inerrant, and infallible, that Jesus Christ is not the virgin-born son of God, we need to run away from those things. But... That's Christianity in general. And that is, was a survey that did not just confine itself to the United States, to other countries as well. But what about the local congregations? How is Satan going to operate? Well, obviously, Many, many different ways that Satan uses in the local congregation. But one of those ways is that we must be alert as a congregation. When the popular people, the cool people, the fun to be with people, the so-called deep thinkers, and those with great influence over young people, abandon the faith of our fathers and discover new truths that they say are really the old truths. If Satan can deceive and divert from the truth, one such influencer 
of people in a local church, then it means that many others will fall away from biblical truth. And so Satan's methods of deception, subtle, strategic, and sinister. I looked up the word sinister in the dictionary. Webster says one of the definitions of sinister is leading to disaster. Going back to Satan, the sign changer. He changed the word of God in Genesis chapter 3. The result, separation and death for Adam and Eve from the presence of God and being cast out from his presence there in the garden. Satan the sign changer. We have this Bible, 66 books. The divinely inspired word of God. It is the truth of God. But Satan is busy changing road signs. Some of you or many of you probably have seen the movie Battle of the Bulge. Which goes back to World War II. And the waning days of the war when the Germans were getting close to defeat and in that battle called Battle of the Bulge Germany made one last desperate attempt to attack and defeat the Allied armies and one of the ways that they used was to have a group, a unit of German soldiers who spoke fluent English, dressed up in American uniforms, and that group captured a vital, critical road intersection where three roads intersected. And they changed the signs so that the Allied forces, when they came to that intersection, they took the wrong road. And it led to their destruction, their massacre there at the hands of the Germans. That's what Satan does. As we're traveling down the road of life, we come to that intersection, the narrow road and the broad road. The narrow road says life. The broad road says destruction. But Satan subtly and strategically and with sinister purpose changes the signs so that multitudes end up traveling down that broad road that leads to destruction. God in his word warned us about this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. 
I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's what's happening in our world today. And it's happening here in churches in America. Satan is turning ears away from the truth. Turning people's hearts to fables. The biblical view of truth. Well, first of all, God is a God of truth. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. That's our God. A God of truth. He's our rock. He's perfect in all of his ways. And yes, a God of justice. For one day, every single living person on this planet will stand before God and be judged for the things done in our lives. And God, the God of truth and the God of justice, will mete out a righteous judgment. Psalm 96 verse 13 says, For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and his peoples with truth. That is our God, a God of truth. And then we come to Jesus, the Son of God, because we believe in a holy trinity. God the Father... God the Son, sent by the Father, the living reality of the truth of God. In John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine. That should be literally translated, I am the vine, the true. The Greek word translated true there comes from the same Greek root word for truth. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am the vine, the one who is truth. John 14 and 6 again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then John 1.14 again, the word was made flesh. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. It's 
So God the Father and God the Son. And then there's God the Holy Spirit. The revealer of truth. John 14 verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. God, Jesus promised to send us the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth. Chapter 16 verses 12 and 13. I will have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And so we have God the Father, the God of truth. We have Jesus Christ, who is the truth. That God has sent into the world so that we may know him and find the right way. And then we have the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, that Jesus promised to send into the world to guide us into all truth so that we might not go astray. So we have this wonderful God who loves us and who provides for us truth that we might know him. John 17, verse 7. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And so I say to you again, don't be deceived by the preachers on television or by those who think they have discovered some new truth Go to the word of God. Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. That they, they listen to the apostle Paul who was truly God's man preaching God's truth. But the Bereans searched the scriptures to see if those things were so. And so today as a church I pray that we will always stand firm. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly, there's that word again, you are in truth, my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the Jews said, But we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? You will be set free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son who is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You are in truth free. Our past, we were slaves. 
we were slaves of sin. But our goal, our desire is freedom. Freedom. Our nation was born out of a desire for freedom. But even greater than that, I believe in the heart of every individual, they desire to be free from that chains of sin that bind us and keep us from God. And our path is to know the truth. The word of God is truth. And our positive, Jesus said, you are truly my disciples. You are in truth my disciples. Then he said, you are truly free. You are in truth free. And folks, that's the gospel truth. That's a phrase that we often use trying to convince someone else that what we have said is the truth. That's the gospel truth. But the Apostle Paul said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, More, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul delivered the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus' life, death, crucifixion, shed blood, and his resurrection rising from the dead. That is what Paul said was the power of God unto salvation. Because that is the gospel truth. That God would help us, have us to declare. That God would have us to believe and to receive. And so I pray that God will help us today. To believe the truth. And serve him faithfully all the days of our life. Brother Dennis, would you come and lead us in our hymn of invitation? I think it's number 388.